Y'all been in a series called Second Timothy, and you've been learning about Paul and what Paul's been teaching Timothy, and tonight we're going to look at what does it mean to be set apart. See, right now, I am so thankful that I am set apart from you, that I'm not sitting in the middle of all the minnows. And, and let me read you a couple definitions about what it means to be set apart. Set apart, when we think about it, it means to set something aside, to be distinctive, to be superior, to be different, to be unique, to stand out. In our culture, we love to stand out. We love to be set apart. And there's a few ways that we do this in our lives. The first is physically. We like to be physically set apart. You youngins, yeah, because I'm in my 30s, I can say that. You youngins, there's this word that you say when you look good, that you is drippy. I don't know what, is that not right? Y'all are judging me. Someone told me that was right. You are condemned. No, I'm just kidding. If that's not right, whatever, I believe what I was told. Like literally, someone said, look how drip it looks. Drippity drip. Is that right? Drip drip. Drip to the drop. Okay, we'll just move on. Y'all can make fun of me later on your MySpaces. Anyway, so, yeah, yeah, okay, that was a joke. Laugh. Don't judge me. So, we love to set ourselves apart when it comes to our physical beings. We like to dye our hair a certain way. We like to talk about our newest tattoo. We like to talk about our new shoes, our new drip, whatever it's called. We love to talk about it. And then some of us, we like to talk about the good old days when we were great athletes. We were set apart because we were so fast. We were set apart because we were so tall. And when you get to my age, you're not set apart by anything. You become old and fat and you're not fast. But you are still strong. And we like to talk about these things like, hey, this is what sets me apart. But not only physically do we like to be set apart, but emotionally. What do I mean by this? By our personalities. You know, I've talked to some of you about, you know, your personalities before, and, and we love all these personality tests and studies, and how many of you know what the Enneagram is, right? I bet you, if I were to ask you, you are an Enneagram theologian. You could tell me what every number means, and we love to talk about how we are set apart when it comes to our personality. You know, I'm an eight and a three, and some of you are like, that's not possible. Yes, it is, okay? Because I am living proof. I've read the book. And so I am a threat. That's what I call myself. I'm a threat train. Doo -doo, I'm coming, baby. And so my personality is I love to say, oh, well, I'm competitive. I'm, I'm straight to the point. I'm forward. I'm bold. And, you know, that's what separates me from everyone else. And we can go on and on and on talking about our physical attributes that set us apart. We can go on and on and talk about our personalities, our leadership skills, our gifting, and how that sets us apart from everyone else. Because here's the truth. We all love to be unique and different. We just want to stand out. But I have a question for believers in this room tonight. So if you do not actively follow Jesus, this really isn't going to hit you. Now you can listen and you can learn, and at the end of it, we're going to talk about being set apart and, and how Jesus can do that in your life. But for those who follow Jesus, are you spiritually set apart? 
Are you spiritually set apart? And that's what we're going to talk about tonight because here's two truths that Paul is teaching Timothy and that me, the old guy who came to hang out with you on a Thursday, wants you to learn if you are a Christ follower. Here's the two truths. The first, Jesus followers are called to be set apart. Now, we're not called to be set apart because we're weird. We're not called to be set apart because we wear culottes. And if you do, more power to you. But that's not what we are called to be set apart in. We are called to be set apart spiritually. And here's the second truth. Jesus' followers are set apart for kingdom work. You are not set apart to give yourself your own platform. You are not set apart to bring yourself attention. We as believers, we as Jesus followers, we are set apart to be used for kingdom work. And so my question still remains, are you set apart spiritually? When you look at you and your friends, whether they are a group of people that don't follow Jesus, whether they are a group of Christian friends, whether it's a group at church, are you set apart spiritually? And you know, uh, another way to, to talk about being set apart, I'm going to say this later, but in Christian understanding, when it comes to what Paul is teaching Timothy, to be set apart is to be holy. And we're going to talk about that later, and we're going to get to that. But I want you to understand to be set apart is to be holy. We've been set aside for a special purpose to be used by God for his kingdom. Now, let me give you some understanding here for a second. Holiness is not grounds for salvation. I'm going to say that again. Holiness is not our grounds for salvation. What am I saying by that? What am I meaning by that? That means holiness does not earn us salvation. Holiness is a result of salvation. Does that make sense? So no matter how set apart you are, you cannot earn yourself salvation from your own sins. But because Jesus has saved you, changed you, and the Holy Spirit lives in you, being set apart and being holy is a result of the salvation. So I don't want anyone leaving here today thinking, hey, if I go to church 100 times this year, I'm going to be saved. If I read my Bible all the way through 10 times in the Greek and the Hebrew, I'm going to be saved. If I get a Hebrew tattoo, I am set apart. There's some of you in here that have done that. I know you have. And if you get a Hebrew tattoo that says set apart, I will judge you. No, I'm just kidding. But that is not going to earn you salvation. And so we must understand that the only thing that can forgive you the only thing that can save you is faith in Jesus. And it's because he has saved you and his power is in you that now you can be set apart. And this is what Paul tells Timothy. He says, Timothy, in your young age, be a worker that is approved. You know, I think Pastor Logan taught you all last week how there was some heresy and false teachers and false doctrine being taught inside the church. And so what Paul says is, separate yourselves, Timothy. Separate who you are from them. You are to be set apart. And we're going to look at that. And to give you some context, I don't know if you know the context in which Paul is writing 
to Timothy. If you didn't know, Paul is in a dungeon. He's in a cold, dark dungeon. He is chained up, and he's writing his last letter. This is it. He's under the Roman government, and he's under Emperor Nero, okay? And Nero slaughters a bunch of Christians. If you didn't know this, Paul ends up dying after this by being beheaded. So Nero pulls him out and chops his head off because Nero is persecuting Christians. And in this moment, Paul is lonely. He's in a dungeon. It's cold. He's chained. And he's writing letters to continue the work of God. And he's telling Timothy, he's worried about Timothy, and he's worried about the churches, and he's worried about the work of God. And he's saying, Timothy, I want you to be set apart. Now listen to how crazy this is. I want you to do the same things that got me put in jail and ultimately led to me being murdered. That's what I want you to do. That's how set apart I want you to be. So Paul knew what he was asking of Timothy, but Paul also knew that he had been set apart to work for the kingdom. He knew that this place, this earth was not his home. And so Paul ends up dying, and this is the final letter that we have. And I don't know about you, but if I'm about to die, it's almost as if Paul knew he was about to die. And if I'm about to die, I'm going to say some very important things. On my deathbed, I'm not going to say, you know what? I really love McChickens from McDonald's. I'm not going to say that. That's pointless. On my deathbed, I'm not going to argue about pointless things. I'm not going to say, you know what? I think the earth is flat. No, I think it is round. I'm not going to do that. What I'm going to say on my deathbed is the most important things that I could ever give my loved ones. And that's what Paul's doing. He's saying, hey, Timothy, if you can know anything, I'm going to write you this letter. And then chapter 2, I'm going to tell you what you are called to be. And the call that's put on Timothy's life is a similar call that's put on our life. And don't miss this. The call is if you are a Jesus follower, you are set apart. You should look different. The world should look at you and go, what's up, A.A. Ron? You don't look similar. Like, what is going on in here? The world should look at you and notice that there is something different. You are set apart. And so in Paul's teaching tonight, we're going to look at what does it mean to be set apart and how can we, as Jesus followers, be set apart? And I told you at the end, If you do not know Jesus, I'm going to talk to you about what it means to come to know Jesus and how he can set you apart from your sin. So with that, I'm going to ask you to turn your Bibles, 2 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 20, but I want to read verse 19 just to read it to give us some context of where we're at in the chapter. So verse 19 says this, But God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows who are His. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. That means everyone that claims the name of the Lord depart from sin. And and Paul's telling Timothy, hey, those false teachers, don't worry. The Lord knows who are His. And whoever claims the name of the Lord, tell them to depart, set apart themselves from sin. 
And then he gives this analogy. I love it. Verse 20. Now, in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also vessels of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable use. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So what Paul is saying is like, hey, Timothy, the church is like a big, big house. Some of you, you're not old enough to remember 90s and early 2000s songs. Big, big house with lots and lots. Are you kidding me right now? We can go on the road and start a choir. We would make millions. Okay, anyway. Anyway, this is not that song. But what Paul is saying, this is actually the passage that song was based off of. I'm so lying. But what Paul is saying is the church is like a big house. And in this house, you have two types of vessels. You have some that are for honorable use. What does that mean? That means the fine china of the house. That means the glass dishes. That means the tubbleware that is clean. Like when you're ready to serve guests or when people show up unexpectedly, you take it and you use it. It's ready. You can present it before people. It means it is ready to use at a moment's notice. That, are, that is the honorable vessels. But then he says they're the dishonorable vessels. Now, what is that? They used to have what is called a chamber pot. Does anybody know what a chamber pot is? Good. I hope you don't. It's kind of weird. In the middle of the night, when they had to relieve themselves, they didn't have indoor plumbing and if it was cold outside or if it was stormy, they had a chamber pot. And they would open the pot, do that, close the pot. Then the next morning, they would take it out and they would dump it. And what Paul is saying is, hey, those dishonorable vessels are like the chamber pot. They are not clean. Would you take that chamber pot and use it to serve some stew or soup in your house? Absolutely not. Now, some of you guys in here, you're like, I'll do it every day. No, it is gross and it's disgusting. Imagine this. I know, I know I'm speaking to a roommate right now that has a sink full of dirty dishes. Uh-oh, uh-oh, we about to start preaching tonight. And all your roommates are like, here's a sign from the Lord. The intervention's coming. If they would just clean their dishes. Oh, this is way too real. Okay. But I want you to imagine. I want you to imagine for a second. All those dirty dishes. You use all of your dishes. And you know that barbecue chicken, that pasta, that ramen noodles. It's been sitting in that container in the fridge. And then you just threw it in the sink. And it's dirty, and it's molding, and in fact, you've created a new species of life in that container. No lie. There was one time, me and my roommate, when I was in college, we left, <laughs> a little mini fridge broke, and we left a gallon of milk in there for the whole semester. Oh, oh yeah. And we didn't know it until one day, towards the end of the semester, it was near finals, we start smelling something kind of rank. We're like, 
And I was like, Manuel, did you wash yourself? I mean, you kind of stink, buddy. He's like, no, Ben, you stink. And I'm like, what is that smell? And we found it. And we were like, oh, dear God, we have created a plague. Half, <laughs> half the dorm is going to die. But imagine you've used all of your plates, all of your Tupperware, and they're all dirty. And you're ready to eat, or you have friends coming over, and you're ready to serve them, but you can't do it. Why? Because they're dirty. They're not ready to be used. And what Paul is saying is in the church, in the church, there are believers who are honorable vessels that are ready for service. What does that mean? It means they are set apart and they are clean. They are ready to rock and roll. And then there's others who are in the church who they are like that Tupperware that's been sitting in the fridge and now is in the sink. They are dirty and they cannot be used. And that's what's in the church. You have, believe, you have believers who are ready to be used and then you have those people who are not ready. Let me ask you a question tonight. If God were to work and move in your family, in your work, on your team, in your dorm, in your apartment, could he use you? See, a lot of times we like to think of ourselves, well, we're set apart because, well, I grew up in America. Well, I'm set apart because I grew up in church. Well, I'm set apart because I go to church. And then it gets even worse. We believe that we're set apart because we got some education. Well, I'm set apart because I went to seminary, because I learned Greek and I learned Hebrew. Listen to me. The only thing that you can do to set yourself apart is to clean yourself up. And that is only found in Jesus. You know, a lot of times I meet young people and older people. They're like, I want God to use me. I want God to move in my life. I want God to work in my life. God, I am ready to be used. Why aren't you working and moving? Because you ain't clean. Because you are not set apart. God can use someone who's not smart enough. God can use someone who's not gifted enough. God can use someone who's not adequate who falls behind, who has got a bad past, but they've repented. But God will not use someone who is dirty. And the reason that you feel like God is not using you, fellow believer, is probably because you are a dirty vessel. Because here's the truth. God is always working and moving around you. And the reason you probably can't see it, and the reason that God isn't using you, because you're dirty. And this is what Paul is saying. He says, look, I'm going to read it again. Verse 21, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, useful to Jesus, useful to the kingdom of God, useful for whatever he is about to do, ready for every good work. Students, if you want God to take over your future, 
If you want God to do amazing things in your life, be ready to be used. And traveling to a bunch of different places isn't getting you ready. Practicing a bunch isn't getting you ready. Do you know what gets you ready to be used by the master? Is by being clean. I'm going to keep saying it. It's to set yourself apart. I think it's one of our points on the screen. It's to cleanse yourself from what is dishonorable. Now, the word here, to get a little nerdy on you, when it says to cleanse yourself, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, what is the word picture here? It means to scrub-a-dub-dub. It means to take that chamber pot and to clean it so well that you could eat off of it. Now, I don't think I would ever use that chamber pot to eat with in general, but there's a beautiful picture here that no matter how dirty you have been, no matter how dirty your past is, if you come to Jesus, he can cleanse you. And this is not about salvation. So for those of us who are believers that we have fallen back into sin and we're dirty and we can't be used right now, Jesus can still cleanse you. You can restore that relationship. And how do we cleanse ourselves? Well, Paul's going to tell us. It's all dealing with obedience. It's when you start to walk in obedience and you flee from your flesh. He's going to tell us, what does it look like to cleanse ourselves? How can we scrub ourselves clean? Because we know in Jesus is the only way that we are spiritually made clean. But we can fall into sin after we are saved. So how do we walk in a manner that cleanses ourselves, that we're ready to be used when God wants to use us? How do we do that? Well, let's continue reading. Verse 22. So flee youthful passions. So the first point of how do you cleanse yourself? How do you set yourself apart after you have followed Jesus. How do you do it? You flee youthful passions. Now, I know what everybody in here is thinking when you read that phrase. You're thinking about when in doubt, make out. That's what it means. You're thinking about sexual immorality. That is part of it, but there's another meaning to this phrase. There are other meanings to this and how it applies to our life. So yes, it is When in doubt, don't make out and and walk in sexual purity. That is part of it, but there's other parts of it. What does it mean to walk and to flee away from youthful passions? It means we are to keep our pride, our desires, our aspirations, and our lifestyles in check. To flee from youthful passions, it means it includes things like lust for money, lust for for power, lust for control. It's the spirit of discontentment. It's pointless discussions like the heresy and false teaching that was coming into the church. It was to flee those things. Listen, holiness, and this goes back to the false teachings and always fighting about, y'all know Christians, we love to fight about the stupidest things. Was the flood global or local? No one cares. Calvinism versus Arminianism, free will, chosen, elect. Yeah, baby. Let me tell you something. Holiness is not about what we know. 
Holiness is how we live. And so many believers think that holiness is about what we know. And if I can know more, then I am holy. Son, you are a moldy piece of Tupperware. You are. It's how we live. And we must flee youthful passions. We must flee the lust for money, the lust for power, the lust for control, the pride in our life, the desire to be our own God, to say, I'm in control. I know what's best. My will, my way, my plans, my goals matter most. No, as someone who belongs to Jesus You just open your hands and say, use me however you want to use me. See, a lot of times the vessels say, hey, use me only if it's for Thanksgiving dinner. Or use me if it's for Christmas or Easter. Don't use me for pizza night on Fridays. Don't you dare do that. Which, by the way, if I was a vessel, that's what I would want. Give me the pizza on Friday nights, baby. Because as you can tell, I'm a pizza connoisseur. But the vessel cannot tell the master when it should be used. A clean vessel says, here I am. It repeats the words of Isaiah. Here I am, send me. I have died to myself. I have died to my passions. I have died to my pride. I have died to the lust of control, power, money. Use me, oh God, to work for you. That's what it means to flee youthful passions. The next thing he says to make ourselves Clean. He says, this is also in verse 22, pursue righteousness. Pursue righteousness. What does this mean? It means having a sincere confidence in God, that God is our source, that God is our identity, our peace, our substance. Let me ask you this question. How do you view God in your life? As a believer, how do you view him in your life? Do you see him as a loving father who has bring about a redemptive plan, who is saving people, who loves you more than you can love yourself, who invites you to join him in his work? To pursue righteousness means to pursue love. Look what it says in the verse, to, to pursue faith, to pursue love and peace. So what does it mean to pursue love? That means growing in love for God and for others. To love God and to love others. Do, are you growing in your love for God and for others? Because here's what we do a lot of times. You know, what Paul's telling Timothy, hey, pursue righteousness. That means pursue faith. See God as your source. See God as your identity. Then pursue love. That means to be growing in love for other believers and for God. But a lot of times what we do as Christians is we love God and tolerate others. We serve God and tolerate others. But what God's word tells us is if you want to be a a vessel that's set apart, you love me and you love others. And as you grow, your love for them will grow. Now listen, that is hard. Because some of us, we want to go to Camp Kick a Fool because there's a lot of fools out there. And you just want to donkey punch them. Not that we condone violence up in here. But sometimes you just want to. You're like, I can't stand this person. Yet God calls us to wash 
feet to serve people, to share the gospel of Jesus with them. And within the church, we are called to serve one another. So pursue righteousness. That means pursue faith, pursue love. And then he says, also pursue peace. That means seek harmony with other believers. A lot of times, instead of seeking harmony with other believers and seeking to serve other believers, we seek to see what they know and how to prove them wrong. We come with an attitude of, let me show you what I know and let me show you how you're wrong, instead of seeking harmony, seeking peace, encouraging one another to set our eyes on Jesus. So that's what we do. We flee from youthful passions. We pursue righteousness. But also, I want to show you one more thing. Um, Well, I'll read. Actually, I'll do a couple more things, and I'll get to that. Let's continue reading. Verse 23, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. We've already talked about that. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness, that God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. Do you see what someone who pursues righteousness looks like? They are gentle. They are kind. They are able to share the gospel. That's what it looks like to be a clean vessel, to be set apart. And one last thing I want to point out in this passage of scripture of how we can set ourselves apart. We flee from youthful passions. We pursue righteousness, but also surround yourself with Jesus followers. Surround yourself with Jesus followers. You've probably heard so many preachers say this, You know, uh, uh, our lead pastor at our central campus, he says this all the time. He says, show me your friends and I will show you your future. Who you're around will contaminate you. It's just the truth. If you put a clean dish in that dirty sink with the moldy Tupperware, what's going to happen to that clean dish? It's going to be funky. And what a word. I love that word, funky. You just put some oomph into it. But it is. I ain't eating off of it. We got to clean it. It's now dirty. And we as believers, to cleanse ourselves, we must surround yourself with Jesus' followers. Does that mean be nasty and rude and separated from the world? No. We are called to reach the world. We are called to love the world. We are called to tell the world the gospel of Jesus. So what does this mean? This means surrounding yourself with those who can influence you. Look what he says in verse 22. It's at the end of verse 22. He says, pursue righteousness along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. This means to surround yourself with Jesus' followers. Clean friends will help you stay clean. Friends that are set apart will help you stay set apart for the master's use. And I know what a lot of you are thinking. I don't surround myself with terrible people, Pastor Ben. They ain't doing meth. They ain't smoking dope. They ain't doing all crazy stuff. They're not stealing. They're not racist. They're not murderers. They're not killing people. They're not doing all these things. They're good people. But here's the truth. 
If you surround yourself with nominal Christians, you will be a nominal Christian. And that is what plagues American Christianity, is the fact that we have in our minds that what God called us to do is to be nominal. Believer, you are called to be set apart from nominal Christians in the church. If you can't tell the difference between you and a nominal Christian, you need to search your life. Some of you, you might not know what nominal means. Some of you right now pulling out your phone, what is nominal? Okay, that's a good question. Nominal means someone that really is kind of mediocre, middle of the pack, blends in, normal, nothing special about them. Another word or phrase to, to describe this is cultural Christianity. It's just a cultural thing. Why do we go to church? Because grandma did it. Why do we hang out afterwards? Because we eat fried chicken. They don't have any love for God, for Jesus, or his church. They just do it. They just show up. They're not truly bought in. And that is the plague that we must fight against. Now, listen, if you are a set-apart believer and you got a bunch of nominal friends, get that cattle prod out and start zipping them, baby. Get them closer to Jesus. Say, we are called to be set apart. We are called to be different. So how we continue to be set apart and cleanse ourselves is through surrounding ourselves with Jesus' followers. So I hope you hear the message of tonight. If you are a believer, you are called to be set apart. You are set apart for a reason, to be used in the kingdom and be ready to be used by God when he comes knocking. If you want your life to be radically different, to be radically changed, if you want a life that's like no other, be ready to be used by God whenever he comes knocking. So in the conclusion tonight, to close it, to land the plane, I don't even know how long I've went. Oh, it's red. Okay, the conclusion, there's like a red zero zero up here. That can't be good. That means death. All right, so in conclusion, let me ask you a few things because we see in this passage, we flee from things. We see in this passage, we pursue things. We see in this passage that we are to make ourselves clean. Let me ask three questions. One, what do you need to flee tonight? When I was going through that list, maybe it was when in doubt, make out. Maybe it was sexual immorality. Maybe it was lust. Maybe it was pride. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's control. Maybe it's all these different things. I can't tell you what it is because I'm not God and I'm not the Holy Spirit. But I know the Holy Spirit works through the preaching of his word, and he pricked your heart when I mentioned one of those things. So tonight, what do you need to flee? Now, what always happens after a message like this, it's after Valentine's Day. Some of y'all going to break up in here, and you cannot blame me, okay? Because some of you are like, that was my sign, Jesus. I need to flee from this relationship. Don't you blame Pastor Ben. Make sure it's of God. Like, if it ain't right, take flight, baby. That's good. But do not blame me because I will get hate mail. Some joker is going to find me on Instagram and DM me and say, why did you tell Betsy to break up with me? And I ain't answering. I'm going to block you. But that might be something you need to flee tonight. This is not a breakup sermon, so please don't do it. But if you need to flee from that, flee from that. 
If you need to flee from bad friendships, flee from that. If you need to flee from an addiction, flee from that. Second question, what do you need to pursue? Because God tells us, Paul tells Timothy to pursue righteousness, pursue faith, pursue love, pursue peace, pursue other believers that love Jesus. So do you need to pursue church? Do you need to pursue a group? Do you need to pursue others and love them? Do you need to pursue accountability? Maybe someone in here needs to pursue obedience and you haven't gotten baptized yet and you're like, I need to get baptized. What do you need to pursue tonight? Then my last question, amen. My last question, do you need to be made clean tonight? And what I mean by this is do you need to be made clean from your sins? Because everything we've talked about being clean tonight is in in service to God, not salvation with God. Because here's the truth. There is only one person that can make you clean from your past and from all of your sins. There's a difference in making yourself clean from walking in disobedience and making yourself clean from judgment and sin and death. And there is only one person that can make you clean tonight, and that is Jesus. It ain't me, it ain't this church, it ain't Pastor Logan, it ain't these leaders, it ain't the worship, it is Jesus. And here's the good news, the gospel of Jesus, is that God is loving and merciful, but he's also just, and he's righteous, and he's holy. And if you look around this world, we know that we are full of sin. It's everywhere, there's suffering everywhere. And so God being just, He is going to judge every sinner from the beginning of creation till the end of days. There will not be one racist, one murderer, one rapist that will go unpunished. Every sin is going to be punished because God is just and he has to deal with it. But at the same time, God is loving and merciful that while we were yet sinners, God still loved us, and he loved us so much that he wanted to make a way for us to be made clean, to be made forgiven. So he sent his son, Jesus, to come live a perfect life, a life that you and I could not live. And he came and died a death that we were supposed to die, that in his perfection, we have been made clean. And in his death, our judgment has been paid for, that if we believe in Jesus... We are forgiven. Why? Because we trust the perfect way that he lived covers us. We trust that Jesus did the work that we could not do. Do you understand that God loved you so much and realized that you cannot save yourself, that he saved you? And that is how you are made clean, by trusting that Jesus can make you clean. And so do you need to be cleansed tonight? Do you need to be made clean? clean. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to have a time of response. I usually ask people to move in a response, but I'm afraid if you move, we're all going to die. So I'm not going to do that, but here's what we're going to do. I'm going to remind you of the three questions. What do you need to flee? What do you need to pursue? And do you need to be made clean tonight? So as we have a time of response, if you need to flee from something and ask God to forgive you, now's the time. If you need to pursue something and you ask God to help you pursue it, now's the time. But for those of you who want to know Jesus, 
I'm going to give you an opportunity. In a minute, in like 30 seconds, we're all going to bow our heads and close our eyes. And I'm going to talk to you about what it means to follow Jesus. And you, I'm going to lead you in what sounds like a prayer. But listen, the prayer ain't special. It's not about the words. It's about your heart, heart posture. And I'm going to ask you, if you want to know Jesus and if you need to be saved, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand and wave at me while everybody's eyes are closed. You don't want to do it right now. If you did it right now, I'd be blown away. And I'm just going to acknowledge you. I'm going to say, hey, I'm going to encourage you to go talk to one of the leaders in the back at some point tonight or talk to me afterwards. I'm not going to bring you down front. I'm not going to stand you on this. Is this a table? Yeah, it's a table. I'm not going to stand you on this table and say, look, woohoo. I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to encourage you to come and talk to me afterwards, okay? Now, I'm going to pray. I'm going to hush. They're going to sing. You do business with Jesus, and then we're going to get out of here. Let's pray. Jesus, I'm so thankful for the time that I've been able to spend with these students. Forgive me for preaching so long. I pray that your word would not return void tonight. God, I pray that you would speak to the hearts of all of these students, that you would reveal to them what they need to flee from, whether it be lust, whether it be pride, whether it be money, whether it be their will, whether it be a relationship. Lord, I don't know. But show them what they need to flee from. Lord, convict them of what they need to pursue, whether it be church, whether it be obedience, whether it be a group, whether it be accountability, God. Show them what they are to pursue. And Father, I'm going to speak right now so directly to those who don't know you. To those that need to be made clean. Maybe they came in here tonight not knowing how they can get to heaven, not knowing how they can be forgiven, not knowing why Jesus is so great. And Lord, I pray that tonight that they hear that Jesus is so great because the Son of God came and did the work that we could not do, died the death that we were supposed to die, that if we would have faith in him and believe in him, that he is powerful enough to forgive us, we will be forgiven. If that's you tonight, you might say something like this, Jesus, I don't really know you as well, but God, I know that I need to be forgiven of all my sins tonight. I know that I need to be made clean, and I can't cleanse myself, and religion can't cleanse myself. I need you. Jesus, would you save me? Before we have this time of response, is there anyone that would raise their hand tonight and said, hey, I trusted Jesus tonight. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to bring you down. I just want to know so I can celebrate on the way home in my little Camry and sing. Is there anybody? Okay. Okay. One, two. All right. I see y'all. Three, four, five. Oh, my. We're about to have a revival up in here. Okay. Listen, if you raise your hand afterwards, I'm going to be standing back near the bathrooms. That sounds really sketchy. So don't be scared. Don't be afraid. I want you to come talk to me, Okay. I'll be back there, and I would love to connect you with someone that can connect you with a church family and show you what it means to follow Jesus. Lord, we give you honor and praise tonight. Would you continue to work during this time of response and give those who need to be saved or who just prayed that prayer the boldness to come back and find me. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Why don't y'all stand and sing?